Good morning and good evening for all our Zambia listeners. Welcome to the Cowries and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable China-Africa podcast. Broadcasting from the heart of global China-Africa research, Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I will be joined by the wandering Nkemjika Kalu. Dr. Kalu, you are not in D.C. at the moment, right? That is correct. I am in the heartland of the USA, Nebraska, right now. So you are a real American, as we would say. Corn and beef, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long are you in uh, Nebraska? I'm here for a short while. Um, visiting some friends. This is my; these are my old stomping grounds. So I'm glad to be back. Any juicy story you want to share with our audience before we move on to the next section? You know, not yet. Maybe <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds sounds good. Today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors, Africa Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Oduro, seeks to connect development workers to professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides the most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The form incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. So, we have already had one graduate student from Michigan State University grace our podcast with their presence in Mr. Liu Xiaonan. And we decided we should have another. Mr. Hekabwa Chipande is studying the social and cultural history of football in Zambia in the 20th century, and he is a recipient of the FIFA Havelange? research scholarship for his doctoral dissertation on the social and political history of football in Zambia, 1950-1993. His name went on our Africa-China radar for his post, China Stadium Diplomacy, A Zambian Perspective, which is on the Football's Coming Home blog. Basically, this episode is going to be a much longer exploration of the themes originally covered in that piece. Hikabwa, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, um, uh, and good morning. <laughs> you are in Lusaka now, correct? That's correct. Yes, I'm in Lusaka. And well, what are, what are you doing there? Um, here in Lusaka, I'm um, conducting um, my PhD dissertation research uh, on the political and social history of. Of or what we call football, or in the U.S. soccer, uh, for my studies at Michigan State University. Well, how how far along in your research are you? Not very far. Although I wrote my master's thesis on the history of uh, soccer in Zambia in two thousand and nine, so I already had a background on the history of the game in Zambia. For my PhD program, um, I spent. Uh, Three months uh, doing my archival research and interviews here in Zambia in, in 2012, and uh, then returned to, to MSU to finish my, my coursework and, and take my comprehensive exams. Uh, so I came back uh, to continue with my research last year in July. And I have continued uh, until now. I have gathered quite a lot now, I think, and uh, I have started um, working on some of my final dissertation chapters. 
that is tremendous. That that is in, incredibly diligent research you're doing. And also for our listeners, we're going to switch off on using the terms soccer and football over the course of this podcast. I'm a shameless American. I use the term soccer, but I know everybody else in the world uses football, so just letting everyone know. For our listeners' um, knowledge, w- would you mind going briefly through why you chose 1950-1993? Oh, yes. I chose the period 1950-1993 to for a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, Zambia was colonized by Britain uh, starting from um, the late uh, 1890s to 1964 when we gained independence. So in my research, um, I decided to start from 1950s so that I can try to capture and bridge the cultural uh, experiences uh, from colonial uh, to post-colonial eras. Then I have also decided to build further from the post-colonial era, that is the the early 1960s and 1970s, uh, to build up to the 1980s um, because this is the period when the Zambian economy, which is uh, so much, which was so much dependent on copper, uh, collapsed as a result of the the, uh, the fall of uh, the copper prices on the international market. So the Zambian economy kind of collapsed, and it it, it was also uh, the mining companies rather were the main the main financiers of soccer in Zambia. So I'm interested to look at how uh, the fall of uh, the Zambian economy rather. Um, uh, influenced uh, soccer in Zambia. And I'm ending in 1993 because uh, in 1993, uh, the entire uh, Zambian national soccer team crashed off uh, the coast of Libreville in Gabon on their way to Senegal for a World Cup qualifier match there. So that is the reason why I have chosen this period, uh, 1950 to, to 1993. Wow. That was... Exhaustive and brief. I, I appreciate it. And and yeah, the the '93 plane crash was one of the low points in African football. I remember I was living in in Ghana at the time, and a really sad event. Well, well, we'll move on to to the topic at hand. China's stadium diplomacy is one of the most entertaining aspects of the Africa-China relationship, born of China's quest for international recognition over Taiwan, and continuing as these. Concessional loans or grants were seen as incredibly effective soft power tools. However, politics aside, a new soccer stadium is not always an unalloyed good. And the complicated realities of what is a new stadium means for a country where its former stadium was often seen as the most powerful symbols of civic participation is explored beautifully in Hikawa's piece. Hikawa, could you let us know what inspired you to write that piece on football is coming home. I was actually inspired by um, Elliot uh, Ross' article on China's uh, stadium diplomacy in Africa, particularly the points he raised on the sad replacements of uh, historical soccer venues with new kind of Chinese uh, built stadiums. So uh, although I must stress that the Chinese uh, really have nothing to do with the choosing of the venues of these stadiums, but this is what inspired me to, to write the article. One of the things you touched on in, um, in your article was the importance of independent stadium, especially for Zambian history. And that for me was very personal because, um, as I tweeted shortly after reading your article, I got to, I got to visit Independence Stadium and... Um, 
and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the historical significance of Independence Stadium and what it meant for you as a Zambian. Yeah, that's, that's my question. Yes, sure. Thank you very much. Yes, no, the, the Independence Stadium in Zambia actually meant a lot to most of us Zambians who have actually watched uh, soccer matches there. Uh, it was actually uh, constructed in the beginning of uh, 1964 as a temporary structure for the purpose of celebrating independence in 1964. And then it was later uh, upgraded to become the main national stadium, uh, which kind of, as Peter Alegi writes in um, uh, African Soccer Scapes, became a symbol for independence, rather. Uh, it was the place where all independence celebrations were held, where important football matches were held, really historical football matches, and other important national events were also held held in the stadium. I remember watching uh, interesting football matches uh, in the Independence Stadium in the uh, 80s, and and a lot of other events like celebrations, which are hosted possibly by the president, they will be held in the stadium. So it is a very kind of historical stadium to 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 a lot of us. Um, it was unfortunately demolished in uh, in 1986 with plans of renovating it to host the 1988 African Nations Cup, but it was not renovated unfortunately. So um, uh, we were hoping that when we heard kind of uh, politicians talking about the construction of a new or, 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 or the construction of a stadium in in Lusaka, the capital of Zambia. Actually, initially, they were talking of renovating the Independence Stadium, renovating. So we were excited. We heard that the Chinese, they, had, they were negotiating for, you know, loans or support from the Chinese to, con- to construct um, or to renovate the Independence Stadium. But we were surprised that when the time came to renovate it, actually, they decided to construct a brand new stadium just in front of the Independence Stadium, which is now called the National Heroes Stadium. So basically, that is kind of... The loss that some of us who have a lot of attachment and the history with the Independence Stadium feel about. Oh, man. Well, you, you kind of answered the, the question I was going to ask, so I want to skip ahead to my next question. Your piece concludes with Zambians having a much more cynical interpretation of the China-Zambia relationship, but in the end finding that the relationship preferable to politicians pocketing the copper wealth of Zambia themselves. Could you elaborate? Yes. While there are suspicions about the Zambia-China relationships, I think that, you know, the suspicions primarily um, from the point of view that people are not really engaged or the relationships are not fully kind of explained to the people to understand. But I think that uh, the people, uh, as I indicated in the, in the, in the article I, I wrote, um, the people prefer the construction of structures like stadiums, like tangible infrastructure, like stadiums, construction of roads, for example, because they feel that at least the money is spent on uh, on things that they can see, and they're afraid that, if, for example, the copper wealth, the only risk, um, probably source of, uh, of, 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 of our, our resources, uh, is not spent on things, on things that, uh, tangible things that we can see, like, uh, you know, a football stadium. They're afraid that probably to, you know, 
disappear and and go in, in maybe in other people's pockets. And above all, I think that there is a lot of corruption in the construction industry in Zambia, where we have uh, a lot of incomplete projects. And uh, for example, the the projects that, for example, are Chinese funded or constructed by the by Chinese companies, people are kind of a bit comfortable because they are they are certain that you know the projects will be completed. And so, how is the accountability then for for the non Chinese projects? Because one of the things you mentioned that so we're being pushed, or at least the Zambian option is to to choose to engage more with the Chinese. Um, is there any sort of accountability coming from Zambian citizens, the voting base? to to address the other projects, the ones that are not being completed? Yes, yes. No, a lot of efforts are being made. I mean, the Zambian citizens shout uh, the loudest in terms of, because most of these incomplete projects maybe are roads, uh, bridges, etc., etc. And, I mean, the stakeholders who actually are concerned, very concerned about these projects, they really um, complain about... Uh, the incompletion of these projects. But the, the suspicions that we strongly have as citizens, we feel that they are actually kind of connected to high-ranked high politicians. And as a result, it becomes very difficult to pin them down or to, to make them really accountable or to, you know, to uh, make them pay back for whatever they have already been given for failing to, to complete uh, the project. Of course, there had been also debates, for example, on uh, supporting local contractors as opposed to a kind of uh, supporting foreign contractors who are already uh, possibly comfortable. But um, uh, many people argue to say, no, actually, although at times they also complain about the quality of some of the, 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 the Chinese contracted projects, but uh, I've not heard uh, them complain about the stadiums, for example. But however, generally, I think the, the people are more on the side of kind of feeling now that, well, given that our local contractors have let us down uh, on a number of occasions, so we would actually prefer the Chinese because they will actually, they usually com complete their projects. Wow, that's... Uh, I'm not sure if I really answered your question, though. No, no, I think you did. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was a really, really good answer, really interesting answer. Can I shift shift the discussion back to, to soccer? So, for someone who might not appreciate soccer, as we heathen Yankees call it, could you explain the importance of atmosphere and camaraderie? Why does it matter that a, a new stadium seems cavernous and sterile? Yes, firstly, I must say that soccer in Zambia is the most is the most popular sport, uh, dating far back from the late 18, uh, 1920s when it was uh, introduced by uh, by the British. It emerged to become, you know, kind of the the most popular uh, black urban culture, as people uh, call it. And the importance of um, and, and and for example, in Zambia, it is one single um, it is one single activity, from my point of view, that manages that manages to bring together 
all the 73 ethnic groups to celebrate and to feel as a nation. So that is very important. And now when they get to the stadium or when we get to a stadium where we feel as a nation, uh, uh, as, this, um, as all the 73 ethnic groups that make Zambia, you know, there is the singing that go on and kind of this electric um, atmosphere that we experience, which kind of we always look forward to. And uh, in this case, then the, the, the huge stadiums, for example, that are constructed, uh, which have, for example, uh, running tracks in the middle, they push the... From my point of view, that is, they push the, the, the supporters a bit far away and then it becomes a bit too big to have that kind of atmosphere that people really um, look forward to. So one of the things that you talked about were in your piece were some of the flaws and issues with regards to the new stadium. And as you, you implied, a lot of these issues are not, you know, are they outside the purview of the Chinese government? How do you think, or, or what do you think the Zambian response should be to the issues or the flaws with the stadium or issues with regards to ambience? What, what are your thoughts on the fact that, on, you know, the Chinese influence on those issues? Wow. Whereas my, my article on the blog was connected to, of course, the Chinese-funded stadiums, I, I totally agree with you. And like I mentioned earlier, that uh, the flaws have totally nothing to do with uh, the Chinese government, for example. But um, basically, uh, from my point of view, it is the Zambian politicians who make decisions without consulting the stakeholders who are causing the major the major problem? Because, for example, my um, my kind of only issue with the new stadiums has to do with them kind of replacing kind of replacing the hist the historical stadiums like the Independence Stadium. So, of which um, the selection of uh, the selections of the venues on where these stadiums are to be con con constructed has nothing to do with the Chinese government or the Chinese contractors, but the Zambian uh, politicians, uh, who for a number of reasons, from my point of view, um, probably to put it um, close to a historical uh, stadium in the interest of wanting to, to be associated with kind of the history that is associated with uh, the stadiums, for example, I don't know. But basically, um, if I may cite one example, we had a very interesting issue that occurred just a few months ago when uh, the Minister of Sports in Zambia decided to name uh, the new stadium that, that, just, uh, that was built adjacent to the, to the demolished uh, independent stadium. He decided to name it as the Gabon Air Crash uh, Stadium, something like that arguing that it's in memory of, you know, our um, beloved national team that perished the, off the, the coast of Gabon. So they did that without consulting anyone. And luckily at this time, the people kind of erupted and said, no, how can you name our football stadium starting with Gabon? I mean, what do you mean? And, and after criticizing the minister, that's when kind of they changed the name to... National Hero Stadium. So in short, I think the, the main issue here are our politicians kind of consulting and engaging the, the, the stakeholders and the people 
when actually embarking on these these uh, sports projects. That's the main problem. Dang. That that's a serious serious thoughtful answer. Thank you. Ikaba, could you offer some thoughts on ways to improve the Africa-China soccer relationship? Maybe refurbishing older stadiums, offering to finance national teams, offering loans for football associations. I think China is, from my point of view, uh, that is, I think China is already doing a great job in terms of <clears throat> supporting Zambia with the construction of these new stadiums. Of course, as I indicated earlier, that it's a circumstance probably beyond their control that, I mean, the Zambians, they choose where they want these stadiums uh, to be constructed. And, and like you mentioned, I think renovating existing uh, dilapidated stadiums would also be a very good way of uh, strengthening the, the Africa-China soccer relationships. And probably... Um, I don't know at, at that level if there is if China has any role in terms of uh, encouraging, especially in the projects that they are implementing, to encourage their partners who are the respective governments, like in this case the Zambian government, to to ensure that they engage the stakeholders, politicians, to not just make their, their decisions abruptly, to ensure that you know the stakeholders appreciate and and actually make a contribution in the relationships. And on top of that, I think that, I mean, like, for example, in Zambia, uh, there is or we have a lot of Chinese companies operating here in the construction industry. For example, we have new projects uh, now in Zambia, uh, of, of course, away from soccer, where uh, we have this new road construction projects, which are predominantly uh, being uh, done by Chinese companies. And I think that it would be important, for example, for the Chinese uh, companies in Zambia also to do some form of support to the local uh, soccer project, local soccer clubs, for example, uh, supporting local soccer clubs like uh, the mining companies are doing uh, in a form of kind of uh, social responsibility. I don't know if that's how they call it, to just kind of strengthen that to, to show that, you know, I mean, these companies are not just kind of making profit and investing everything back, uh, back in China. I'm going to jump ahead, Winslow, here. Mm -hmm. Higabo, would you mind sharing with us a really awesome China-Africa soccer story, football story, if you have one? I don't have anyone in one of the stories for now, but um, uh, what I know is that for example, in Zambia, we have uh, a number of, uh, I think, two or three Zambian uh, soccer players who play in China. And that is kind of a new, a new development because uh, most of the soccer players had been kind of flocking to, uh, to Europe or, you know, and all those other, other countries. So it is very exciting that we have got Zambian soccer players that are actually playing in the Chinese league. And one of them, although he returned now, he did not renew his contract. Uh, Christopher Katongo is actually the captain of uh, the Zambian national team and, and very respected in Zambia. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Is there anything else you would like to add before we move on to recommendations? On my end, nothing really. I, of course, just like to, I, I think, to comment that uh, I'm, I am actually very happy with the China uh, or as, as Elliot Ross calls it, kind of the... The, the, state, the China stadium diplomacy, uh, in a sense that, on, on, you know, I mean, in, in Africa, we also had 
uh, a lot of dilapidating uh, stadiums that were that were that were very that were very uh, very dangerous uh, for the for uh, for the masses and uh, the initiative of uh, I mean constructing new stadiums I mean uh, is, is a very welcome one and we are also happy to to play football or to play soccer rather in in uh, on very good surfaces and in, in very modern stadiums unlike the old colonial stadiums that we had although of course we would have preferred to to continue those uh, the, the legacies of those you know colonial independence stadium uh, stadiums perfect well there you have it african happy with chinese stadiums in case anybody asks that's great well let, let's move on to recommendations hikabo you're our guest would you like to recommend anything for our listeners yes on 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 football my recommendation uh, is to ask our, our our listeners if they are interested in kind of uh, reading on the political and social history of football in in Africa, um, particularly uh, in South Africa. There is a book um, written by Peter Aleji, who is actually my dissertation advisor and professor at Michigan State University, titled Laduma: Soccer, Politics, and Society in in South Africa, where he looks at at how soccer, um, no, where he looked at, he looks at the history of soccer in South Africa and how uh, soccer helped uh, sustaining oppressed uh, communities and uh, and played a significant role in the fight against uh, the brutal apartheid system in South Africa. Perfect and a v- very appropriate recommendation, Dr. Kalu. My recommendation is not sports related, unfortunately. Ah. Uh, I know it's terrible, but it's it's a recent publication from the Center for Chinese Studies out of Stellenbosch, in South Africa, and it's a policy briefing on policy on relations between Mali and China over the last I think it's about fifty years, and they look at how it has indeed for Mali been a win-win relationship, although not to the extent that it's been you know a win for China. Um, it's a short article, but really fascinating read. And it looks particularly at Chinese aid and military intervention um, through the auspices of the United Nations in Mali in the recent skirmish. I did have another um, recommendation that I'd sent in, which was with regards to mining, but I, I rethought it. But it's, it's an old piece. It's from 2010, and it's kind of confusing in the setup, but it essentially makes the point that, by and large, the mining industry has not changed the economic outlook in Africa. So even though we're increasing the number of mines and um, the extractive industry, there's just not been an economic uptick for the people in the country, especially those who've been displaced by the mines. But yeah, those are my recommendations. Okay. Uh, I got three that I'm going to try and blaze through. So one is Africans Get a Kick Out of Shaolin Kung Fu by Frankie Taggart with AFP and, and it's put out um, via Yahoo News and just talks about the popularity of Kung Fu in, in different African countries and and yeah in my experience in Ghana Nigeria a lot of people and, and a little bit in Niger a lot of people like martial arts I, I remember my judo teacher was um, a, a really fantastic Ghanaian guy and and I, I remember in Niger people like wrestling and so I'm in terms of Chinese soft power, it's 
and I, I'm happy. You know, the the Shaolin monks are are getting are getting some love. Although the piece talks about the sort of commercialization of Buddhism and this and and uh, and this particular style of, of kung fu, it's a very interesting article and, and not not at all long. And and I I really enjoyed it. Uh, the second is Kenya among countries exporting malaria to China by. Uh, I'm not going to say this name right, uh, Gatonye Gathura via Standard Digital. And it's talking about, a, a, I think, a, a Chinese health minister noting an uptick in malaria from, uh, Chinese, uh, from Chinese workers working in Africa then coming back. Although, it, for me, it has the whole blame everything bad on Africa vibe to it. That sometimes will will you'll hear, although not from official Chinese um, sources. But in any case, it's something to look out for um, a new wrinkle in the China-Africa relationship, and something that, that I found interesting. And, and the last thing was this awesome, awesome letter by this dude Francis Galton, and it's a it is from uh, 1873, uh, June 6th. And Francis Galton is one of these like famous 19th century um, like intellectuals, and he I think he sort of um, what is it invented created the the concept of correlation and regression to the mean. So he he did a lot of math stuff, but he also you know of course dabbled in eugenics and all sorts of you know scientific racism stuff. So this letter basically saying, hey, you know, we're, we're colonizing Africa, and in terms of labor, we should be bringing in the Chinese. And it's a very interesting look at sort of the, the China-Africa relationship from, you know, over a century ago, and and sort of the, the, the framing. Uh, if, if you like China-Africa stuff, just check out this letter. It's you know it's it's written in in, a, in an old style, but it's really cool and really worth a read. Okay, I've stuttered my way through that, so let's go on to how do people find you on the interwebs, uh, Haku? God damn it, Hikawa. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. No problem. That will be edited. Out. <clears throat> that will be that will be. I might actually keep it in because it's funny. Uh, sorry, how do, how do people find you? Uh, that's great. Um, unfortunately, I do not have uh, a website, but uh, my, tweet, my Twitter account is um, Higabwachpande. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's actually how yeah. we, we, we found you. Dr. Kalu and I read your article. Dr. Kalu said we have to do a podcast with this guy, and then I, I reached out to you on Twitter. So you're, you're a good... I, I'm happy that you use your Twitter account. Oh, yes, I do. I do. Although um, with uh, irregular internet here in Zambia, it goes up and down. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, Dr. Kalu, how do people find you? I blog at nkemkalu.wordpress.com, and I can also be found on kauriesrice.blogspot.com, and my Twitter handle is not at Winslow underscore R. That's <laughs> Winslow's Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is at NKME College. <laughs> Dr. Kalu, what is your Twitter, what are your Twitter activities like now that you're outside of D.C.? It's really quite sad. It's really, really quite sad. I, I've dropped off on the Twitter a little bit. 
hopefully I'll make an appearance at least a couple times a week, but it's, it's, uh, my, my, um, my visibility or I guess my, my activity is really reduced by some of the responsibilities that I have to handle while I'm here in Nebraska. I apologize world. The world weeps, but, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll make it through another day. As for myself, I can also be found on cowriesrice.blogspot.com. And my Twitter handle is at Winslow underscore R. And I've been, I've been trying to be a little more diligent about tweeting China Africa news. And, and yeah, I use it as a way to get in touch with people. So if you write a cool article like Akabwa did, I'm going to try and reach out to you. Or if you ever want to talk to me for whatever reason, I, that's probably one of the, the easier ways to get in touch with me. Uh, that is about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Hikaba for joining us this hour morning slash his evening uh, from Lusaka. We would like to thank African Development Jobs and Africa Daily. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Blackberry Network, still no answer. Um, I should actually probably send him a follow-up email. And if you have any recommendations about what where else we should post this podcast, let us know. We're listening. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song, and thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care. Take care.